to be a struggle that we try to do, but each day is a gift from you, and each day has a task where we can serve you. It's a privilege and it's an honor to be able to serve you. Please show us what you'd have for us to do. Guide us through your word. Teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we're asking it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we say, today we're going to start a look at Paul's second letter to Timothy. And I've said this before, and I'll say it many times as we're going through this book. This is probably the very last thing Paul ever wrote. So as Paul's last words, we would do well to pay attention to him, wouldn't we? I mean, we talk about the Apostle Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament, probably the most important person in Christian history. Uh, and these are his last words, basically. I enjoy reading people's last words and things like that, just to inspiration, uh, what, was, what was the very most important thing on their mind. Uh, now, as with almost all of Paul's writings, he starts off by introducing himself. Now, doesn't that seem a little bit odd? Since obviously Timothy knows exactly who Paul is. In fact, Timothy probably knows Paul better than anyone else knows Paul. They worked together for years and years and years. Paul, you don't have to introduce yourself to Timothy. Just, hi, Timothy. Here's a few thoughts. He does, why do we wed Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus? He's saying this for a reason, isn't he? He doesn't need to introduce himself to Timothy anymore. Now, part of it, I mean, we can look at it superficially, part of it, he's probably just being friendly. Hey, Timothy, this is Paul. Uh, but some of it was probably written for our benefit, you and me sitting here 2,000 years later, because I'm pretty sure Paul wasn't stupid. I'm pretty sure that by this point, Paul realized that most of his writings were being preserved to benefit the church at large. He knew that even what I'm writing as a personal letter to Timothy, this is going to be preserved. People are going to be looking at this. You know, when you get right down to it, isn't it fascinating? And here's, by the way, this is proof that the, this, what I hold in my hand, is the Word of God. There are very, very, very few other 2,000-year-old personal letters still in this world. There are a couple. We come across them, and it's an amazing thing when archaeologists say, hey, look at this. We've got a personal letter from such and such to so-and-so. We've got a whole stack of them right here. Some of them are 4,000 years old. That right there is evidence that this is the Word of God. I'll tell you that right now. But that's, I got kind of off topic there. Sorry about that. Uh, this person-to-person -person correspondence from Paul to Timothy is still benefiting you and I, isn't it? I hope it is. I know it's benefiting me. I, in fact, this morning I was reading Psalm 96. I needed some encouragement. This Anybody else need some encouragement this morning? I read Psalm 96 because I needed some encouragement. David wrote that a long, long time ago and it's still benefiting me. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy 2,000 years ago and it's still benefiting me. That sort of thing blows my mind. But in any case, let's get to our study. Let's read verse 1 again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, 
according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. As I've already said, Paul's opening words in this letter, like most of his letters, are typical of personal letters from the Roman era. We have other examples. This is very similar. Uh, in fact, to you and me, who have read the New Testament, we're all of us sitting here pretty familiar with the New Testament. We've read many of the New Testament epistles over and over and over. And we might just glaze over Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. It sounds so routine, doesn't it? I mean, in four others of Paul's letters, he wrote almost the exact same words, word for word. First and Second Corinthians, Ephesians and Colossians, almost exactly the same. If you go to the first words in, in all those epistles, it's almost exactly the same. In fact, Paul starts himself starts his letters off by calling himself Paul the Apostle in Romans, Galatians, 1 Timothy, Titus, the exact same phrase, Paul the Apostle. But something that sets this one apart, 2 Timothy is slightly different, is that little phrase, by the will of God. He says, by the will of God. Did you know that that phrase, by the will of God, only shows up seven times in the New Testament? Only seven times in the New Testament. That strikes me as a little bit odd. I mean, you and I, when we're praying sometimes, I hear it all the time, anytime we're getting together, well, by the will of God, we, we, we say it just about every time we're praying. Now, it shows up seven times in the New Testament. Five of them are in the introductions to Paul's letters. And two show up in other places. Uh, let's look at the two other odd places first. Let's go over to Romans 15. Romans 15, particularly verse 32. It says, That I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. He's talking about visiting the Roman church. He's hoping to be able to do it by the will of God. And that's kind of the way you and I would use it in prayer. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians. It's right next door. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm not going to read the times when he uses it in introductions to his letter because it's very similar to what we're looking at today. But 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 5, he says, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave of their own selves to the Lord. All right, we're back on. Thank you. It's amazing. But uh, one other reason why Paul may be being so scrupulous here to make sure that he introduces himself is that because like each of the pastoral epistles, it's so different than it, from his usual style that some people have even tried to make the claim that Paul didn't actually write them. You know, Paul wrote the, the gospel to the... Uh, the 
the epistle to the Ephesians, the epistle to the Colossians, the epistles 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He wrote to churches, but these 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus are so different than what he usually wrote that he might, hey, I'm going to prove that this is me. Paul, I'm an apostle. And Paul probably anticipated that. But coming back to that phrase, by the will of God, why is that so important for Paul to point that out? Well, there could be several different reasons why Paul's being so particular to point out that he's an apostle by the will of God. Uh, First, it demonstrates the authority by which he's writing. I'm writing by the will of God. That's why this is happening. You see, to Paul, the authority that his letters carry don't rely on his thinking, and he was a very smart man, and they don't rely on his personal qualifications, which were extraordinary, or even his political skills. Rather, his authority rests entirely on the fact that God had intervened in his life and changed it and commissioned him to be an apostle. And that's it. That's it. Remember how Paul was converted. Paul was hunting Christians. He had a hunting license issued from Jerusalem to track down Christians everywhere he could find them and kill them. He was en route to do that on the road to Damascus when God shined a light so powerful it knocked him right off his donkey, flat on his face on the ground, and he had to cry out to Jesus. And he was a changed man ever since. And then he started hunting unbelievers to turn them into Christians. See, without God's intervention, Paul would have been just another Jewish rabbi, lost to history. I already pointed out, we don't have that many personal letters from the Roman era. And we don't have hardly any Jewish rabbi writings from the same time period. Hardly any. And yet we've got Paul's writings. Paul would have been just another name lost in history if it weren't for the will of God. Isn't that amazing? In fact, uh, we can take a look at his uh, later description of this exact same event. Let's, let's look at uh, Paul's description of his conversion, Galatians chapter 1. I've got a little bit of time. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Here's Paul. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. That's that's the authority Paul's speaking in. Paul's apostleship was not an earthly, not a human matter, but an act of God's sovereignty. And Paul realized that. A second reason, I said that there might be several, a second consideration why Paul would focus on his calling by God's will is to remind us that he has a personal relationship with God. I've got a personal relationship with God. God's not a mystical being. Some people believe that. He's not a symbolic entity. He is a person who can be known. And as such... He's marked Paul's life to such a degree that he is now a changed man. He's a completely different man than what he was formerly. A third reason, and somewhat related to the last one, is it shows Paul's strong ties with Christ himself. 
You know, some people in the early church claimed that Paul was just starting a cult that Jesus would have never intended and that Jesus would have never supported. That was some accusations that came against Paul. However, when Paul says that what he's doing, he's doing in the will of God as an apostle of Christ, that really cements the doctrines that he's teaching, doesn't it? What I'm doing is not a cult, Paul says. I'm doing this by the will of God as an apostle of Christ. Now, several times in his own life, Jesus pointed to himself as the only way to God. We saw that all, uh, most famously as John 14, verse 6. Uh, Brother Fisher is going to get to it in Matthew 11, verse 27. I'm not going to read that to you. He's going to get there. Jesus says he is the only way. I'll give you a second, Diane. But Paul here ties the two together, God and Jesus, in his opening statement. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. The two are tied together. Keep that thought in your mind because we're going to come right back to it at the end of today. The only access to the one true God is through the man Christ Jesus. I hope you realize that. Go ahead, Diane. Okay, Ephesians, yep. I was questioning whether or not I was going to read that myself. Uh, what's interesting here is that, remember what church Timothy is at. What church is Timothy at? Ephesus. He's at the Ephesian church. So, very similar words that Paul uses to describe himself to Timothy as he uses to describe himself to the church that Timothy was at. I think that's interesting. I decided for time purposes I wasn't going to go there, but you brought us there anyway. Thank you, Diane. Uh, now, when we were going through 1 Timothy, we saw Paul's focus on our eternal life, right? We saw that all through, throughout 1 Timothy. And 2 Timothy is no different. I particularly remember 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, where Paul speaks of the promise of the life which now is and of that which is to come. Talking about eternal life. The life that now is, we're, we're experiencing, if we as believers are experiencing eternal life right now, and it, we're expecting it to continue and get better and better in the life to come. You see, for Paul, eternal life isn't separated from this life. They ought to be tied together as one unit. Our earthly life ought to be lived with eternity in mind. And that is only possible with a close relationship with Christ. Otherwise, you're going to get too focused on the things that are going on around here. Moving on to verse 2. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So now that Paul's introduced himself, he now speaks to Timothy to remind him of who he is. Okay, I've told you, Timothy, who I am. I'm Paul. I'm the apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Timothy, 
you're my dearly beloved son. And these words are almost identical to the ones that he used in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2 also. The only difference is that in 1 Timothy, Paul called Timothy his own son in the faith. But here he calls him dearly beloved son. In the Greek, it's agapeto techno. Techno means a, a young child. Techno, when you, uh, technon actually means child. Techno means it's a young male child. There's only two genders in Greek, by the way. Uh, and agapeto, we, don't, we recognize agape, right? Unconditional love. My dearly beloved male child. That's what that literally means. Now, in some ways, this is true to the sense of uh, Timothy's joint partnership in the ministry with Paul. We already mentioned that Paul and Timothy served together in many churches over and over the years. They had very close personal ties. But I think Paul also has in mind here the idea of how blessed we are as children of God as well. Are you blessed as a child of God? Yes. All right. See, here, right in the beginning, Paul's trying to remind Timothy that he's one of God's own elect. And that's not to be taken lightly. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about that? It's very humbling to realize that God Almighty looked down through history and chose me. That's humbling. A lot of people, wow, isn't that kind of boastful of you, Brother Dan, to say that? No, that's humbling to me that God looked down and picked me. I know how unworthy I am. I know what I was like when I woke up this morning. I woke up and I didn't feel like doing anything. I went up to Granite Lake and took a dip uh, just like Doc Ridge would have done. And, you know, when I got done with that, I felt a whole lot better. I had to get out quick because it started raining and I didn't want to get wet. But, uh, yeah, you got it. Uh, <laughs> God looked down through history and chose me. And that ought to inspire me to share the gospel of Christ even more, hadn't it? I was selected by God for something. What is that? To share the gospel. That ought to inspire me. See, Paul's reminding Timothy that he is a spirit-led, chosen, adopted son of God. Timothy's twice beloved, don't you see? He's beloved by God and he's beloved by Paul as well. And then Paul says, grace and mercy and peace. Now the only other time we see this combination is in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. So we've already saw it when we went through 1 Timothy. That's the only other time that grace, mercy, and peace are all together. In every other letter, Paul just says grace and peace. Grace and peace, grace and peace. We talked about that a bit in 1 Timothy, so I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail on that right now. Grace is that Greek word charis. We're familiar with that. And every time we see it used in the New Testament, it's tied to the gospel. Every single time that grace is used in the New Testament, it's tied to the gospel. Go ahead, look it up, check, check it out and prove me out. Uh, God's grace is what allows us to be able to receive the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Mercy is the Greek word elios. And it's also closely associated with salvation. 
but more on a personal level. We see that, in, uh, let's go over to Titus 3 and verse 2, uh, 3 and verse 5. Titus 3 and verse 5. I'm only choosing that one because it's the closest. It's used several other places. This is the only one I want to look at. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. That mercy is tied directly to a personal salvation. I'll give you two others you can look up this afternoon. Romans chapter 9, verse 23, and Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Go ahead and look those up. You're going to see mercy, Elios, tied directly to salvation on a personal level. See, God's merciful nature is what makes Him offer salvation to us in the first place. Only because God is merciful does He even offer salvation. And finally, peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. Peace is mentioned ten other times in Paul's writings. And one of the themes that you'll find as you look each time up, you'll realize that true peace is really only possible when we're spending time in the very presence of God Himself. It, there's only ten times it's mentioned. You go ahead and look them up yourself. I'm not going to take the time to do it. Look up each time peace is mentioned in Paul's writings, and every single time we only get that peace by spending time with God Himself. He's described as the God of peace many places. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 is one that comes to mind. I gave you that one for free. He talks about the peace of God right there. Uh, we're going to see in chapter 2 and verse 22 that Paul wants Timothy to pursue peace. We're going to get there when we get further along in this book. That's two of them. Find the other eight. Uh, in a world of constant conflict and turmoil, and that's the world we live in, isn't it? There's constant conflict and turmoil. The peace that God offers is perhaps His most divine attribute. Wouldn't you agree? This whole world is nothing but chaos. But our God offers peace. There's not peace found anywhere else. Jesus even said that. Matthew chapter 5 and verse, eight, uh, verse 9 when He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Those people who promote and embody peace will be called the children of God. I don't have to teach that hard because Brother Fisher just, just finished. Now, the last thing that Paul wants to say, and kind of the thought I'm going to wrap up on here. Oops, let me go back to 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy. Here we go. He says, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. All of this that we've just talked about comes from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want to focus on that word from. The word from, it's a tiny little word in the Greek, it's apo. Apo. What's particularly striking to me is that's in the singular form. It's in the singular form and it's referring to two people. So what does that tell me? That tells me that both God and Jesus are two persons and yet one being. It's impossible to notice that from the English. If all you're reading is the English, you're thinking, well, it comes from God and it comes from Jesus too. No, it comes from one person, God and Jesus. It's yet another evidence of the triune nature of the God we have.
people who tell you that there's no evidence of the Trinity. You've just got to study a little bit closer. Notice that Christ Jesus is our Lord. You see that? He doesn't say Christ Jesus the Lord. He says Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Old Testament style covenant language going on there. He's our God. Our Lord. By the way, go ahead and look at Psalm 96 and you're going to see the same sort of language. That's what I was reading this morning. See, let's wrap up. One last thought. It's pretty easy to skip over these little introductions in the New Testament, isn't it? Ah, oh, Paul the Apostle, by the will of God, Christ Jesus, blah, 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 blah. But there's some very, very rich truths in there, isn't there? And I wanted to take my time and I wanted to point some of those out to you. There's more. Those are just some. If we just open our eyes, slow down, and take a look at them, they're there. You mind if I close in a word of prayer? Lord, we do thank you for your 